Hello and welcome to Readings from Tokyo. I'm your host, Craig Atkinson, and welcome to episode number nine. Um, today we will be continuing on our reading of Mercy, a novella by Dave Mathis. Uh, we are up to chapter number four, which is titled Forest. Uh, there are ten chapters in this little novella, and uh, so we are almost at halfway. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to the previous episodes and this is your first time listening to the podcast, then I'd suggest to go back to the three previous episodes to listen to what's going on in the story so you can enjoy it a little more. But before we get into that, let us I'd like to thank today's sponsor, Pocket Thoughts. Pocket Thoughts Etsy shop. Uh, you can find... Uh, Ryan runs Pocket Thoughts Etsy shop and you can find him on Instagram at my name is Ryan or on the Etsy page, Pocket Thoughts Etsy. Um, if you use the code SAVE15, S-A-V-E-1-5, uh, you will get 15% off when you go to the checkout. So uh, thank you very much, Ryan, for supporting the show, and thank you very much for listening uh, and maybe supporting Ryan. Um, yes, so now we've got all that over out of the way, let's get into it. Mercy, <clears throat> chapter 4. I might just take a little drink just before we start. There we are, a little bit of sound effects of the drink. Ah, <laughs> uh, mercy. Uh, actually, before I get into this, I do want to add that Dave Mathis has gave, given me permission to read the, entire, the entirety of his novella uh, on this podcast. So thank you very much also, Dave. Um, and uh, why am I reading this? Um, because I like the story. And also Dave has um, the prequel of this story coming out in July time. In a month or two. Maybe June, July. Uh, he's changed the date. He's brought it forward. So um, this is in a bit of a lead up to the launch of the prequel of Mercy. Okay, let's get into it without further ado. Forest by Dave Mathis. Ah, Mercy by Dave Mathis and the chapter Forest. Billy had asked about Wilder after Derange left. I didn't tell him a single word about the train. When Derange said he saw her in the shack, I had almost taken the opportunity to teach Billy a lesson about knowing who to kill and how to make your move. But Derange was Derange, and I was still me. Three days later, the cracked pavement roadways and the dirt and the sand and the nothingness gave away to line, a line of trees. I'd been through this forest before. The trees were always empty with nothing green left. There was just brown. Hills and ditches and dead leaves clung to everything. When Billy confessed why he'd originally hired me, and after my old pal Tilda Range left us, we went on to he went on to explain that his father and mother had mentioned this forest many times in conversation. Billy already accepted that his parents were dead and gone a long time ago, so he didn't appear sad or disturbed as we approached the trees. He did slow his pace a little, and paid a little more attention to that dog of his. I felt for the boy. I really did. We had all seen our share of horrible things while growing up in this world, but everyone's story is a little different. What Billy had experienced, I probably hadn't. My daddy said he met her here. Way before I was born, Billy said, placing a hand on the nearest tree. The dog whined some. 
He said they were part of the same group travelling across the land trying to find some place new and safe. The family stuck together back then and they just sort of clung to each other. We didn't go into the forest. Billy himself was the one who decided against it. He said the forest made him uncomfortable anyway. I couldn't disagree with him. Places like this are high and likely to be teeming with the sort of vermin you, would, you wouldn't wish upon your worst enemy. Though the trees were dead and thin, the trunks branched together so that from the outside the place looked solid and fortified. Once inside, if you weren't careful, you could fall victim to the mental spells that came with getting lost, and that's when they came out to eat you. They liked the taste of meat tainted with insanity. And so we continued a little farther east and turned north up a hill blasted by every past war and fire of decades ago. Skeletons still stuck in the ground, their bones reaching up from the dirt like a goddamn botanical foliage. It was here Billy first looked worried, his dog of his wind. Don't worry about them, boy, I said. They can't hurt you any more than they can hurt themselves. They won't try and eat you. They won't fall in love with you. They won't break your heart. Billy didn't seem to know what I meant about the last part. If he lived long enough, one day he would figure it out. By sundown, we came to a ridge overlooking a great canyon. Down below, there was nothing to see, not at night. There were no lights, no fires, just blackness after the fall. I took a quick sweep of the area and made sure there were no watching eyes or listening ears. When I returned to the site of camp, Billy had already gotten most of our things unpacked and ready for setting up. Learning fast, I said, unrolling a sleeping bag. I guess, he replied. The fire was lit, and Billy was fumbling a bit around with his pockets, sticking his hands in and feeling around as if he were looking for something. His face fell relieved then, and he pulled out what he'd been looking for, which appeared to be a deck of playing cards. Playing cards, I said, letting out a light chuckle. Haven't seen one of those in a while. They were my daddy's, Billy said. Billy scratched between his ears of the dog who was laying next to him in front of the fire. We didn't play much, but when we did, we played this game called poker. Poke who? Poker. Billy repeated himself. I'd never heard of such a thing. Poker, I said. Well, it's a, it's a trimmed down version of it anyway. My daddy tried to teach me the full game, but I was a, even younger, and so some of it was a little much for, to grasp for me. But it's real easy and fun. Billy started getting giddy, and I was a little taken aback, not going to lie. He started shuffling the cards, but his hands were too small to keep a firm hold on them. So every few seconds he'd lose control of them, and he'd have to start over. Want to play? I don't really have much to play with in terms of betting. So it's a betting game, I see. I leaned in closer. I had a fair idea how these types of games went. I'd never really made a point to get hot and heavy in playing them. I'll tell you what, I'll... Tell you what, I'll do you a solid. I reached into my duster pocket and wrapped my hands around the bullets. I placed them in the dirt between us and divided them up evenly. Here's five for you, five for me. We'll use these as currency. 
I don't have a gun, though, Billy said. Why would you need a gun while playing cards? Well, I've read stories about people who cheat at this game, and violence happens. But also, if I win, I've got nowhere to put these bullets, Billy shrugged. He dealt out the cards to each of us. Now we look at our hands, he said. Well, maybe one of these days you'll wake up and find a gun in your backpack, and we'll both pretend it wasn't me who gave it to you. I looked at my cards. I had a red ace and a queen. High cards, but what did they mean for the game of poker? Billy looked at his hand and smirked. He then took two of his bullets and placed them in the center. That's called a raise, he said. If you want to keep playing, you're supposed to match my bet or raise it again. But we only have five bullets apiece, so we can't really raise it too much, too many times. Smart ass, I muttered. Well, I don't really know how much know much about this, so here. I threw three of my bullets into the center. Here's three. Billy rose both eyebrows. All right, well, he took a third card. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, hang on, what's that? It's allowed, it's part of the game, look. Billy looked at his hand and appeared to look impressed. So he tossed two more of his bullets into the center, leaving him one bullet left. He then divided out another card to me. Are you sure you're playing this right? This doesn't seem like it's the right way, I said, looking at my new card. I now had an ace, a queen, and a four of clubs. Absolutely. You've only got one bullet left. Doesn't mean anything. All right, I tell you what. I threw in the rest of my bullets. Since we're just making up the rules here, I'm putting all my bullets in. How does that fancy ya? It's a legal move, if that's your choice. Goddamn right, it's my goddamn choice. I spat. What's next? Well, Billy took a deep breath. Usually, uh, lay down our cards and see who who has what. But usually I think there's supposed to be more cards on the table and the ground here. But like I said, we're playing a stripped down version, so we'll just compare our own cards. He placed down his three cards. He had three aces. I'd never played this game before, but it felt like a hand that trumped mine by a long shot. Well, I started. Fuck it. I laid down my cards. Keep the bullets. I'm making some supper before I lose my appetite. Billy slept his food like it were a stew. I was sad it wasn't a real stew, but I'd learnt to get over such heartbreak. He looked around the darkness, not nervously, but with an curiosity. He still was not fully aware of the world we were trudging through. The dog lay next to him eyes twinkling bright up my direction like the boy trying to understand the world the dog was trying to figure me out he just looked at each other neither of us speaking the boy turned his attention to the sky the big black sky in it there were billions of lights stars the books i'd come across spoke of them each in their own way some of them telling stories about men literally in the stars some of them talking about their chemical compounds and how humanity used to reach for them. 
exploration had once been a word of interest, shut down by the government near the end. I saw a picture book once, the boy said, his head leaning back and his eyes aimed for the moon. The moon didn't look like that. Look like what? I asked, taking another bite. That crack, he said, pointing to it. See how there's that small split near the bottom? In the picture book, there wasn't, there wasn't a crack. It was whole. That's because before everything, the moon was whole, I said. I heard my parents talking about it one night. How it happened? They had their the voices low so they wouldn't wake me up, but I don't sleep much, he said. My dad said, different people, the people who remember it, passed down the stories. They all called it different things. The end of the world, the last days, the after, the event. He said, no one really knows what happened. You won't find it in a history book, I said, thinking back. Do you know what happened? I met a man once. He was dying. He was on the road and bleeding real bad. We got to talking. Once he accepted he wouldn't make it, he said he was born after it, but his grandfather told him the story, before everything. At about the time the moon split, there was this rumour, backed by science of the time, that an asteroid was headed here. We didn't have the technology to stop it, so the world governments gave their instructions for people live on as far as they saw fit, as peaceful as they could. The remaining religious religions all had their reasons for this. End of the world event, of course, and their followers believed it, but mostly People fell into a state of fear. Businesses collapsed, cities burned, towns became nothing, and people just killed each other. It wasn't easy for people to accept that suddenly they had no future to look forward to. The governments had given an, given an estimated date of impact. But when the estimated time frame arrived, and with no asteroid, instead of reverting back to a state of civilized living, People became even more enraged. A war began between small groups of people and the remaining sectors of the governments. But the war didn't last long. And that's where it gets hazy. Both sides, without question, suffered their losses. But desperation became a cancer. It seems we destroyed the world ourselves out of fear based on a scientific error. Though I've met someone who are pretty positive it wasn't just an error. What was it? Some of the more radical groups out there think it was a design. It was a pur purposeful, or maybe it was a test. A social experiment gone wrong. Or exactly as planned. They've tried to get me to join their cause. To help them in finding the answers, but... I shook my head and pushed back my hair. Some of those groups, those gangs and settlements and cults. Some of those religious kooks. Others just people who think they know what... It's important in life. Here I am with you, so I really don't have an interest in any of that crap. I don't even know what the point would be in finding out the truth of everything. Not like it can get us anywhere better than where we are now. The next day, I could hear the jingling of brass in young Billy's pocket. When I looked back, he wore his proudness about him. Even that goddamn dog of his seemed to be trotting with a newfound bravo. I hated them both. 
All right, and that's the end of the chapter. Uh, Forest. I hope you enjoyed that. That was, uh, just to repeat, that was reading from Mercy, a novella by Dave Mathis. Um, the next chapter is called Moonlight, chapter number five. Fantastic. We will be hitting the halfway mark in our next episode. Um, thank you for joining me today. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the reading. Um, and also thank you to, yes, Dave Mathis and Ryan from Pocket Thoughts Etsy Shop for the sponsorship for today. Uh, thank you very much, and I will see you next time.